Good morning. I'm Gary Brooks, the lead pastor here at West Hills. It's always good to see you all. As Pastor Will said, last Sunday was a, just a great, great day in the life of our church. Thank you to so many of you who volunteered and allowed it to, to be a success. Um, it was a true blessing. You just all need to know, for the folks who were here, who were a part of West Hills at some place along the timeline, who worshipped here, served here, volunteered, their lives were touched last Sunday. Many of them just expressed to me heartfelt appreciation for the love that we all showed and you all showed to them. So thank you for being such a great church family. Uh, We're blessed here at West Hills. Over these next four weeks, Pastor Will and I are going to bring you a study having to do with what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. It's the teaching that comes from Scripture that essentially tells us that every single believer, everyone who's received Christ and has professed Jesus as Lord, has received a grace gift from God, from the Holy Spirit, that essentially makes that person a player on the team, Uh, gives that person, man, woman, young person, child, uh, gives that person abilities, skill sets, um, passions uh, that allows them to serve in order to strengthen the faith of others in the body of Christ and allows a local church like ours to fulfill the ministry, the work of the ministry that God has given to that particular body of believers. Uh, To draw a parallel from our study of Nehemiah, Spiritual gifts is what makes each person a worker on the wall. We just finished our study of Nehemiah a few weeks ago, and we realized that everybody was called to work on the wall. Some were mixing the mortar, some were hauling the stones and the bricks, some were crafting the doors, the new gates for, for, the, for the wall. Um, others were holding their spears and their shields and their bows and their arrows to defend the ones who were working on the wall. Everybody was involved. And, and then you go through the description of Nehemiah. It says, this man and his family was working on this part of the wall, and next to him was this man and his family, and next to them were these priests. Well, that's basically the picture of the spiritual gifts and how they work in the body of believers. Everybody working on the wall according to the gifts that God has given. So we're going to be looking for four weeks. It's not going to be an exhaustive study. Uh, We're going to essentially encourage you to do a lot of the study on your own, dig into the scriptures, see what they say about spiritual gifts, and allow it to be a time for you to sort of do some self-examination and encouragement in this regard. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to lay a a much broader foundation, if you will, a, a bigger panorama, you might say, for our study of spiritual gifts by reminding us of the essential nature of the Christian life. The Christian life is fundamentally, at its core, a spiritual life. By that, I mean it is a life made possible only by the presence and the power of God's Spirit in the life of the believer, from the very beginning to its very end. It is the Holy Spirit who is actively working in the world to convict humanity of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Even though you can't see, you know, John, Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John that the, the Spirit of God is like the wind that moves. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind as it rustles through the trees. Well, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world like the wind blowing across the fields. You can't see it all, but he's there convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Spirit who then convicts an individual. And many of you in this room have experienced this. The Spirit of God convicts an individual of their personal sin before a holy God. And inwardly and effectually calls that person to put their faith in Christ. It's the Spirit who reveals to someone the true identity of Jesus. Many people in the world do not understand the true identity of Jesus the Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals the identity of Christ to the heart and mind of a person. The Spirit reveals to us and gives us understanding into the things of God. We sang, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that opens the eyes of your hearts and helps you to see the things of God. It is the Spirit who takes a person who is spiritually dead and makes them spiritually alive. It is by the Spirit that someone's able to confess Jesus is Lord. The Scriptures say you can't confess Jesus is Lord, apart from the work of the Spirit of God in your heart. It is by the Spirit that a person experiences spiritual birth. It was in 1971 that I was born again. In other words, I had spiritual life brought into a, someone who was spiritually dead, and I was, I was given spiritual birth. I was born a second time, if you will. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you're here this morning as a believer in Christ, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you have been justified by the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit who bears witness with your spirit that you're one of God's kids, one of God's children. That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness, saying, yes, yes, you are. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you do not know what to pray for as you ought, it is the Spirit who helps you in your weakness. It is the Spirit who intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words. Do you, are you seeing that the Christian life is a spiritual life? Only made possible by the presence and power of God's Spirit in the lives of His people. It is the Spirit who produces fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, those are all works of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who strengthens the believer with power in his or her inner being. And brothers and sisters, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that a believer abounds in hope for life everlasting. That's the work of God's Spirit. So from beginning to end, the Christian life is a spiritual life. It is the Holy Spirit working. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the end. So all of that is what I mean when I say that the Christian life is fundamentally and essentially a spiritual experience. A life made possible only by the supernatural presence and power of God's Spirit in the life of a child of God. Therefore, there is nothing about the Christian experience that is merely natural. To the contrary... It is all quite supernatural. When you think of the supernatural, you might think of 
stuff that's sort of, you know, ethereal and mystical. And, but you need to understand, if you are here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a supernatural entity. Something beyond the realm of the natural realm has happened in your life. See, other experiences in life, other aspects of a person's life are natural, of the flesh, of human nature. Um, whether you're a Cards fan or a Cubs fan, whether you cheer for Mizzou or Michigan, whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you are an engineer or an architect, a science teacher or a surgeon, all of those are in the realm of the natural world. But the Christian life, the Christian experience, lies in a realm of supernatural, beyond the realm of nature, where God interjects and and intervenes and supersedes the natural realm and does something in a person's life that that is beyond what you would expect. And yet what's so remarkable is that this spiritual, supernatural work of God gets worked out and put on display in and through very ordinary clay pots, such as you and me. Some of these clay pots are tall and skinny. Pastor Will. (laughs) Some of these clay pots are short. Me. Some are of different shades of color. Some are on the newer side with not too many chips and cracks. Others are more worn with age. But all of them are really quite ordinary looking. You are all really quite ordinary looking this morning. I could mix you in with another two or three hundred people who don't know Jesus and simply looking at clay pots, I would have trouble discerning where the spirit of Christ was and where he was not. And so on the outside, a Christian looks pretty much like everybody else. But it's on the inside of the clay pot where there is an entirely different dynamic at work. And that dynamic is the abiding presence, the indwelling life, and the supernatural empowerment of the spirit of the living God. So we need to understand this about the nature of the Christian life before we get to spiritual gifts. You see, it's awfully easy to view the Christian life and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church, fundamentally from a strictly human perspective, where it's essentially about me and us and what we do. It's easy to view the Christian life and what it means to be a church in terms of my decisions, our decisions, my choices, our choices, my actions, my personal desires, my wants, my associations with other people, and assuming that it was there in the first place, somewhere along the way, it loses the supernatural. It loses the dynamic of the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who took on flesh and lived for a while among us, in the person of Jesus, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, this God, by his Spirit, living, working, and moving in and through clay pots, 
in order to bring things about that can only be attributed to the presence and power of God himself in the lives of his people. Is that making sense to you? You see, otherwise, we are just kind of, there's not much of a difference between the decisions you make and the choices you make and the life you live and the associations you have with, say, being a part of the Lions Club or Kiwanis or um, some sewing guild or whatever you happen to be a part of and you being a Christian and being a part of this thing called the church. The only difference would be that this is about Jesus and those others aren't. See, I want for you to see this morning just how supernatural of an experience it truly is for you this morning to be able to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Someone who believes. Someone who has received Christ. Well, most of the world is not there. The one chapter in the Bible, that, in the New Testament particularly, that talks about the role of the Holy Spirit is Romans chapter 8. And so I'd like for us to read the first 16 verses in Romans 8, and then I'm going to kind of break it down for us, giving us this foundation for spiritual gifts. Would you stand with me, please, <clears throat> in honor of God's Word? The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Lord, thank you for these great, great truths that you have preserved and stored and recorded for us in your holy word. We would submit to the authority of your word today, and we would pray that the Spirit of God would continue to do his teaching, his illuminating, his enlightening work, his encouraging work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to give you three big ideas this morning and elaborate a bit on each one. Mostly working out of Romans 8, with I'll give you a few extra verses along the way. And again, understand what I'm trying to do this morning is lay this foundation so that you will understand, have a, I hope through this we will have a greater appreciation and awareness of spiritual gifts, the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Big idea number one, the Christian life inaugurates a supernatural work of God in the life of the believer. The Christian life inaugurates a supernatural work of God in the life of the believer. We see this in several ways in Romans 8. Paul tells us, first of all, that the believer has received a brand new verdict. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a That's a supernatural verdict given to the Christian. It's an extraordinarily supernatural work of God. Think about it. You and I deserved to be condemned. God is holy, without sin. God hates sin. You and I are sinners, both by nature, by birth, and by choice. I make sinful decisions every day. And I was born this way. We are immersed in sin. We have hearts bent on sin. We are filled with corruption. And so what, what would the natural thing be to do of, for a holy God with people such as you and me? It would be to condemn us. The natural thing to do would be to condemn us. One trespass led to condemnation for all men, Romans 5. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Ephesians 2. But the supernatural work of God was to not condemn us, to forgive us of our sins, to declare us to be righteous. One of the most amazing passages I find in the Gospels is John chapter 8, where the woman who has been caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, and they're ready to stone her. And Jesus says, he who is without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. And then he bends down and writes something in the dirt. You wish you knew what it was that he wrote. And then it says that Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Because you were worthy of being condemned. 
You should have been condemned. They had every right to condemn you, according to the law. Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And friends, these are the most amazing words that this woman ever heard. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. I hope you have heard those words for yourself. Because I think a lot of Christians live with condemnation for all the things from your past that you regret and wish that you didn't have memories of or things in your present. If you are in Christ, can you hear Jesus saying those? You see, we're, we're very quick to move on to the rest of what he says. Go and sin no more. Go and leave your life. We move there way too quickly. You need to stop right there and listen to Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy Son of God, saying the supernatural words to the believer, the person who's in Christ. Neither do I condemn you. Praise God for that. There is therefore now what? No kind of, that's supernatural. That's a supernatural work of God that that verdict should be given to you because you and I do not deserve it. Paul also includes the fact that we have been given a new position. Those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's favorite expression to describe Christians. Paul doesn't refer to believers as Christians. He just doesn't. He didn't. He referred to believers as those who are in Christ. A new position, new location, new inclusion. Ephesians 2 says, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, that's supernatural work of God. Your experience is a spiritual experience. And then there's a new status. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And so your new new status is you've been set free. You've been set free from that governing principle of sin, that governing principle, that, that, that power of death. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ. And so the Christian life inaugurates this supernatural work of God in the life of the believer. Second big idea, the indwelling presence of God's spirit in a believer is a completely new reality not experienced by those who are not in Christ. The indwelling presence of God's Spirit in a believer's life is a completely new reality that is not experienced by those who are not in Christ. Jesus made the promise that the Spirit of truth would dwell and be in his people. 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know that you are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in you. So let me spin out some of the implications of this second big idea for you this morning from Romans 8. 
Paul tells us that this new reality brings with it a brand new way to walk or to live. Verses three and four. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but who walk according to the spirit. That's your new reality. You don't have to walk according to the flesh anymore. Now you walk according to the spirit. It's a brand new dynamic that wasn't there before. In sharp contrast to the way you used to walk before you knew Jesus. He tells us also that you've been given a brand new mindset. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, the things of the natural man. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, on the things of God. Holiness and righteousness and justice, making peace and reconciling and bringing goodness into a world filled with evil and darkness, bringing light, bringing hope where there's despair. You have a new mindset. He also says that there's a new outcome for those who have the Holy Spirit within them. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit, it's life and peace. You also have a new desire. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. How many of you, out of curiosity, had a time in your life when you'd say that you were hostile to God? Show of hands. Yeah. You were, you, in a variety of ways, had your heels dug in. You wanted nothing to do with God. You, you, maybe you thought it was foolishness, these crazy Christians who... Believe this hocus-pocus stuff about God punishing his own son and all this weird stuff called the gospel. And you were hostile to Maybe you even resisted and fought it. Maybe you had people who were trying to love you and share Christ with you, but you, you were resistant. You had your own resistance built up. Now, with the Holy Spirit, you have a, a brand new desire you're not hostile to God anymore. Jody Gross is not hostile to God. Jody is in love with God and his ways. The mind that is set on the flesh does not submit to God's law. It can't submit to God's law. Verses 9 and 11, Paul also says that now there is this brand new internal spiritual dynamic. The Spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. We're going back 2,000 years, friends. We're going back to Golgotha. We're going back to the crucifixion. And Paul is saying, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. There's a whole new dynamic going on in the life of a believer. It wasn't there before. Tied in with that is a new sense of obligation. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Yes, we are. We most definitely are debtors. Not that you can pay off a debt, but an awareness of one who has done something for you that you could not do for yourself, and he did it out of 
unfathomable love and grace and kindness. So then we are debtors, absolutely. But we're not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. No, those days are gone. Mm -mm. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will really truly live. So there's a new obligation that wasn't there before. There's new direction. All who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And so you're led. Now you're being led by someone who wasn't there to lead you before. You didn't want to be led by God before. You didn't even know that God had a desire to lead you. You didn't know that you could be led by the God who made the heavens and the earth. That God, uh, uh, Ken and Lori were up in Michigan. Yay, Michigan. They were up in Michigan last week. And uh, they went up to a, uh, a park way up near Mackinac City. What's the name of the park, Ken? Yeah, well, there's a park where basically it's called like the, the, the night sky park or something. And the dark sky park. And um, they were able to see the circles of Saturn. They were able, that's just, only in Michigan do you see the circle of Saturn. No. <clears throat> no, but they were able to, it's, it's a park that is so, there is absolutely no ambient light. Strictly dark. And you look up and you see the Milky Way, you see zillions of stars. Friends, the God who made the heavens is the God who wants to lead you. That is a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. That is your God. That is your God. Boy, if that doesn't blow you away. Then he says that, that those who have the Spirit of, Spirit of God with them, they have a new childlike cry. I love this one. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by the way. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Sinclair Ferguson, I referenced this book a couple weeks ago, The Whole Christ, excellent book. Uh, let me read a piece of it for you. Paul speaks of the believer crying, Abba, Father. His verb, kradzo, normally indicates a loud, needy, cry. It's the cry that you, that you find in the, in the Gospels of the blind beggar crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of God, have, David, have mercy on me. It's, it's the cry of the crowds, crucify him, crucify him. It's a loud cry, Kradzo. It is the cry of a child who has stumbled, tripped, and fallen. It is a loud cry that issues from a situation of great need. Abba, Father, is not a restful whisper of contentment and security. It is the cry of a child who has stumbled, tripped, and fallen, and is crying out for his or her father to come help. I've heard that cry numerous times with my grandkids. Go over to Judd and Sarah's house, and Tyson's out riding his scooter, and he falls, and the very first thing you hear is the cry of Tyson for his daddy. That's the cry. This is precisely why the cry, Abba, Father, is so significant. It expresses 
at a point of intense need, an instinct that is absent from the unbeliever's consciousness. At best, such a person may and often does cry out, Oh God! But not instinctively, Oh Father! That cry is the fruit of the ministry of the Spirit. It is His co-testimony with our spirit. Even in the hour of darkness, the believer possesses an instinct, a testimony that he or she knows him or herself to be a child of God. It's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life that you cry out for God as your Father. And then the last thing that I would point out here in this second point is that the Holy Spirit brings new understanding and new discernment. Verses 12 and 13 in 1 Corinthians 2. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, friends, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, you would not understand what this book says. One of my one of my greatest sources of grief is that my dad used to read this book and he could not see Christ. He could not see that he would see politics, he would see the need for world peace, he would see all kinds of, he couldn't see Jesus. The only reason you understand this is because of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I lay all that foundation out for you this morning. Uh, and I'm going to just say a couple things about spiritual gifts here and then Pastor Will's going to bring, bring us into more of the spiritual gifts next week. But you see, I, I bring all this to you because I fear that we let go of these things too easily and to our own spiritual demise. You see, it's when you let go of these truths that I've talked about this morning from, from these passages of Scripture, it's when you let go of these that you will fall into walking not according to the Spirit, but you will walk according to the flesh. You will do church stuff according to the flesh. You'll, 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 you'll go through the motions. According, you'll, you'll put money in the offering basket according to the flesh. You'll serve according to the flesh. And it will be fundamentally about you and your decisions and your strength and your power and your desires and your wants and your not wants. Yeah, I want to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to be kind of do this in the life of the church. I don't want to do that in the life of the church. I want to read my Bible. I don't want to read my Bible. It'll be about you. And you'll walk according to the flesh. And then when you get to spiritual gifts, you'll be using spiritual gifts according to the flesh. See, it's, it's, it's possible for Christians to do all those things, go through all the motions that Christians are supposed to do while having forfeited that ever needful sense of God's spirit very present in your life, very real, teaching you, leading you, enlightening you, convicting you, 
comforting you, equipping you, empowering you, who are an otherwise very ordinary person. Taking a clay pot and making it supernatural. Now, what about spiritual gifts? Just a few, a few thoughts here. The, the, the big idea on spiritual gifts that will lead us into these next three weeks. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are divine empowerments of God's grace, sovereignly distributed. God gets to choose and decide what activities to give to this person, what services to give to this person, what gifts to give to this person. Sovereignly distributed in the lives of his people for the common good and for the glory of God. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, and neither do we. We do not want people of West Hills to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. In Corinth, there was false teaching, there were erroneous ideas, there was pride, there was inferiority, there was superiority. Spiritual gifts had become a source of damage to the church. It was basically destroying the church. And so the Apostle Paul was compelled to address the problem. Now, in your Bibles, just so you know, the main passages that deal with spiritual gifts in the Scriptures are Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Easy to remember, 12s. And Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Okay? Those would be the main passages. Let me give you some definitions of spiritual, a spiritual gift from some sources that I trust that I think capture several different aspects of spiritual gifts. R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, wrote this, a spiritual gift is an ability to express, celebrate, display, and so communicate Christ in a way that builds up and strengthens the faith of other Christians and enlarges the church. That's a great definition. Wayne Grudem A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. John Piper, in his message on spiritual gifts, he actually gives two definitions, which is not unlike John Piper. A spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. And that actually came out in R.C. Sproul's as well, to strengthen the faith of others. So both Sproul and Piper, and they get theirs out of the scriptures, say that spiritual gifts are fundamentally to strengthen the faith of other believers. It's not just to make sure that tables and chairs get taken down and food gets served. It's not just to teach a Bible lesson. No, it is specifically to strengthen the faith of other people. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil are always working to destroy your faith, to damage faith. Uh, the, second, the second Piper statement, spiritual gifts are abilities by which we receive the grace of God and disperse that grace to others. That's good too. We receive the grace of God And then we disperse it. We give it away. Now, after telling them that he doesn't want them to be uninformed, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul elaborates. He says, verse 4, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice, I really like the way the Apostle Paul kind of piles these phrases up. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. There's a wide variety. It's significant that the four lists that I gave you, none of those lists that were given is is exhaustive. Which would suggest to me that even all of them combined isn't necessarily exhaustive. But rather what the lists do is give us a broad panoramic understanding of how of a wide variety the Holy Spirit is able to work in the lives of his people. Paul seems to be saying there's a wide variety of gifts, there's a wide variety of forms of service. There are all kinds of activities being performed by God's people, both inside the walls of a church and outside the walls of a church, in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. But notice the other phrase that's repeated, varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. But what's, what's, what's the other phrase? Same spirit, same Lord, same God, who empowers them all. Look what Peter says. As each has received a gift, as each has received a gift, Friends, please understand, if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given a grace gift. You are not without one. You might have a couple. You have been given activities that God's Spirit would call you to to be involved in. You have been given forms of service that he would invite you into. As each has received a gift, use it. To do what? To serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. There's that varied again. God's varied grace. Wide variety of graces. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Use it to serve one another. That's what they're for. Spiritual gifts are not for hoarding. Spiritual gifts are not fundamentally for your own personal enjoyment. Although I believe that if you're working and serving and living with the gifts that the Spirit gives to you, you will find great pleasure. You will find great delight in serving God with the gifts that he has given to you. That's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will just confirm and say, yes, keep at it, keep at it. It's for the good of everyone to strengthen the faith. Well, then lastly, Actually, I want to read you this quote from Piper. We have spiritual gifts in order to help other people keep the faith and maintain an even keel in life's storms. So if you see somebody who's going through life's storms, the Spirit of God may call you to come alongside that person with some expression of grace. You shouldn't bend your mind too much trying to label your spiritual gift before you use it. That is, don't worry about whether you can point to prophecy or teaching or wisdom or knowledge or healing or miracles or mercy or administration and say, that's my gift. No, the way to think is this. The reason we have spiritual gifts is so that we can strengthen other people's faith. Here is someone whose faith is in jeopardy. How can I help him? 
Then do or say what seems most helpful, and if the person is helped, then you may have discovered one of your gifts. If you warned him of the folly of his way and he repented, then perhaps you have the gift of warning. If you took a walk with her and said you knew what she was going through and lifted her hope, then perhaps you have the gift of empathy. If you had them over to your home when they were new and lonely, then perhaps you have the gift of hospitality. We must not get hung up on naming our gifts. The thing to get hung up on is, are we doing what we can do to strengthen the faith of the people around us? That's so good. So good. And then finally, the passage in 1 Peter reminds us of our ultimate objective in all of this. 1 Peter 4.11. In order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have been given graces, grace gifts to strengthen the faith of each other. We have been given grace gifts for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. And then we're going to share on the Lord's table as the ushers come. Lord, thank you for your word once again. We are debtors indeed. For our lives to be lived out for as many days as you give us, for as many years as you give each one of us, Lord God. You alone know the number of our days. But Lord, each one is a gift from you. And then in those days, you give us so much. Our lives are supernatural works of your grace. We would not boast in ourselves, Lord. We would boast in you. Spirit of God, we would boast in you as you boast through us of Christ, as you bring glory to the Son. Father, we would boast of you in sending your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for the gifts that are represented right in this room. Thank you for the expressions of grace, for the acts of service, the variety of gifts and services and ministries that are continually carried out by the people of God here at West Hills. Our prayer would be that they would only increase, that they would only increase to your glory and for the good, the strengthening of the faith of our brothers and sisters. Use us, Holy Spirit. May we be encouraged to serve you with all that you've given to us. And now, Lord, we we pause at the end of the service to reflect on the fact that none of this would be possible had you not gone to the cross. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes
praise you, Lord. You're a great Savior. We pray in Christ's name.